Now for a show by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but who both found a calling running solo businesses. This is the Unfederated Podcast. Hello there. Hey, brother. How are we doing today? Good. Or am I part of this we? Are you using the yeah. royal we? Now? The royal we. <laughs> um, I read a book in law school when I thought I was going to take that job in Beijing. And um, I took Chinese, Chinese policy and culture and uh, self-defense class. <laughs> and as part of the self-defense class, I took, um, we had to read this book called The Gift of Fear. And uh, he talks about like listening to your instinct and self-defense basically. Um, but there's a thing that it's like all serial killers have reported that they do forced teaming or something, which was basically they use the words like we and us when they're talking to strangers to try to like encourage them to feel like they're on the same team and to feel safe. Is that, would you call yourself serial killer? Probably. This, this podcast is just a long con. <laughs> the best way to really get for, for you, my sister, to feel, to feel comfortable with me so, from a so distance some, uh, with headphones on <laughs> yes. states and states apart. I think things are going well. I think my plan's really, really working out. Never see it coming. Mm-hmm. Also like then do you have to do another podcast with another sister to create the serial killer things? Like at most you're getting one person. Yeah. Dead. That's a good point. So it's really yeah. the, not the, efficient. The pace is not going to, you know, win many awards. <laughs> Those are uh, hard awards to win in the serial killer show awards. I don't know. What are those How even have we called? Gotten here? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that was on. That was on me. I did not accept the job in Beijing, as you know. Yes, uh, in retrospect, in the world of the coronavirus, I think you've chosen wisely. <laughs> um, are you familiar with pandemic bonds? No. Well, let me tell you my like, very like, high level, maybe like, misunderstanding of them. <laughs> like municipal bonds, but yeah. So I just learned about this and they, I think came into existence at the time of Ebola and, um, it's basically like, I'm going to Google it cause I'm going to mess it up. You don't say Ebola quite as Southern as most of the people I'm accustomed to hearing say it. What, what, how am I supposed to say Ebola? Ebola. <laughs> like you said it very like subtly and it's it's said with such contempt down here that um, oh, that's funny. I, I, I thought, is she saying Ebola? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just I say it so often. Yeah. Um so uh-huh. <laughs> Ebola. Northerner. Um, yeah, Yankee. Um so basically Ebola happened and uh, you know, b- there's investments where if there's a pandemic, people who have invested get more money. Um, I suspect, and I haven't done enough research, that it's based on reinsurance because um, I know that there's bonds for natural disasters. So uh, if 
re, do you know what reinsurance is? Mm, yes, but explain okay. it for our listeners. Sure. So like if you have an area that's impacted by a natural disaster, all of the insurance companies in that area are going to be paying out a lot. And then the whole concept of insurance fails because it's like spreading your risk, right? But if everybody that has an insurance policy with a particular company has a claim, they don't have enough money to satisfy those claims. So there's bigger, broader insurance companies that insure insurance companies, and that is called reinsurance. Does that seem like a good explanation? I think that sounds good. It sounds yeah. a lot like when Michael, Spot, Michael Scott is wanting to sell calling cards, long-distance <laughs> calling cards, but nonetheless, carry on. Yeah, so I suspect it's similar um, where you're basically like investing so that um, – when those insurance uh, that are related to pandemics pay out, then you get more money, but whatever it's, you know, anything that could happen, right. Somebody's going to find a way to, to short and have an investment that would pay off so that I'd imagine if I was highly invested in the travel industry, maybe I would want to invest in pandemic bonds so that if, if the travel industry is terribly impacted by a pandemic, then my bonds go up. I don't know. Um, maybe like any financial pro provider who's listening to this is like, the girl does not understand bonds. I don't know. But um, it did remind me of our business strategy, <laughs> which is like, you know, if you're invested very well in one end, you might as well even it out with the other. Um, so that's why I brought it up. Mm -hmm. I want to take a moment since we're on uh, terrible things uh, for a thousand, uh, Alex, uh, the the people on the cruise boat in China that have been quarantined for the coronavirus. Are you yeah. familiar with these folks? Yeah, I that am. that Let is me. my worst nightmare. Oh. <laughs> like that makes me want to never leave my home. <laughs> like going on a cruise, not my favorite thing. Being a germaphobe and travel, not great. Having to be quarantined on said boat. Right out of, it's like uh, off of Japan, right? Um, for like days and days and days. And it's this weird thing. Like, you know, there's a 14 day quarantine or was, you know, whatever. And, but then like, it's just a time bomb until you get it. Cause you're stuck in this real small spot with all these other people that are progressively getting sick. You know, it's just like this cesspool of deadly illness. Anyways, I've, I've been trying not to watch the news on that because of, uh, my own personal uh, fears and tribulations, but um, uh, I will I will offer you this. You are the least likely person I know of to wind up in that situation for all of the reasons that you pointed out. And there were so many times I'm sure leading up to this moment where you would have been like, "Nope, I'm out." Like when you had a trip planned to the east and you heard about <laughs> one case <laughs> of coronavirus you'd have been like peace nope <laughs> good thing i bought all the travel insurance or whatever you buy um yeah so don't worry rob you would never have wound up in that situation yeah i, he I heard a story the other day about some americans that were like they were about to they they could have gotten off the boat earlier and and the the United States was going to fly them on a private plane back to the US but then they had to start their quarantine back over once they got here and they're like, oh, we'll just stay on the cruise boat. You're kidding. And I was like, no, 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 no. Get, get me out of the boat. <laughs> you know, like well, under any circumstances. Put me like, into the quarantine without the people who also have Yes. <laughs> yes. Back on American soil, which makes me seem ignorant, but so be it. Like, get me on land. And then, and then get, you know, Air Force Base, no problem. Like, two more weeks. Well, time well spent. 
Anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's funny. Um, so all of that to say <laughs> you're a serial killer who's not going to die of coronavirus. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is quite the pandemic and a lot of our, um, our more like uh, geeky friends are texting my husband who's a physician about it a lot. So yep. Better invest in pandemic bonds. That's right. At our show length where we, no, (laughs) 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 we messed up. I think, I mean, there's, there's like a whole Reddit apparently where people who have are like, Oh, we only need 10 more cases, uh, this side of the Congo. And then we, you know, get this payout and you're like, Oh Oh, gosh, gosh, so they're rooting for the, yeah. Okay. That's like, I have, uh, have, I would have a moral issue rooting for that. (laughs) Yeah. That seems reasonable. Um, so I have made a slight change in my business over this time that we have spent away and I thought we could talk about it this week. I'm very excited about this. Um, so I look forward to you explaining how you went from, uh, you know, digital marketing to a dancer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Classical or, um, yes, (laughs) that's going nowhere. Good. Um, I am essentially practicing, uh, eating my own dog food, practicing what I preach in that, uh, for a long time, I've been this advocate of continuing to just, uh, find the smallest niche, you know, and and chasing that long tail. We've had shows about that in the past. And so, um, at the end of last year, thinking about this year, one of the things that came to mind is a big part of my business has always been, um, the e-commerce space. Um, that is a world where I can prove my worth in a very real way. Like I can say, Hey, I brought in this much money. Um, you know, you gave me this much for ads. I brought in this much money. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? If it's good, you sh- we should keep doing that together, you know? And, um, so that's been good. Those have been good clients. The, they're a, a level of sophistication that is uh, not a lot of people have a tremendous amount of experience in, but it, as luck would have it, that's been the bulk of my experience in the digital marketing world. And so I was like, what would it look like for me to go all in at, as just like um, position myself solely for e-commerce uh, advertising versus just kind of a more of a jack of all trades, which is probably what my website looked like before think I had some like, you know, columns of like, Oh, these are the areas that I have experienced, but they're like super generic, like lead generation and professional services and yeah, yeah e-commerce. Um, so I, I kind of repositioned all the copy on my site, redid it accordingly, all the imagery, um, and you know, changed email signatures and, you know, any, any and all places where I kind of represent myself and, online and have transitioned to this approach. And it's been kind of interesting. We've, uh, I've lived in this new phase for, uh, I guess about two months now. Um, cause I kind of worked on it, um, uh, towards the end of last year. And so there's been some interesting takeaways. There's some things that you and I have talked about offline that I've been very uh, uncertain about and are, are working my way through. And so maybe some good stuff for us to talk about today. Oh, that's exciting. I didn't realize it had been two months since you made this transition. Yeah, I, I ended up, um, I lost uh, a few clients at the end of last year, starting in November, um, all for reasonable reasons. Like, uh, I mean, um, but it, it it opened up a lot of my book of business. And so it kind of challenged me to say like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I, I'm kind of bummed that I lost this business. Um, but 
It also gives me a little bit of a, a, a chance to refine what kind of clients I want and what that needs to look like. And so um, I chose instead to put more pressure on myself <laughs> by not only getting more work, but uh, trying to redefine what kind of work I want. And um, so that, that took uh, probably about a month for me to really like think all the way through that, figure out how I would position myself in that, that sort of thing. Um from the outside looking in, it seemed like, uh, maybe in, well, I think everybody who's a service provider at least, uh, runs into perceived value issues and, and making sure that our, uh, clients or customers perceive value in what we're offering. Cause otherwise they're not going to continue to pay us. And that's especially, uh, tricky in a world where so many things are, uh, systematized and, you know, automatic with the computer and stuff. Um, so I think when you were, you know, you kind of brushed over losing some clients, but, um, we talked about maybe like that being an issue is their, their perception of the value that we were, you were offering wasn't in line because, you know, you made it look maybe a little too easy. <laughs> and, um, was that part of what encouraged you to get into e-commerce because you could without having to you know, bluster about and make it seem like you're doing a bunch of stuff and like smoke and mirrors and stuff. You could just say, look at the numbers. Here's some, you know, it's a little bit easier to say this is exactly the amount that you generated because of the money you spent towards me. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that was certainly the case with one of the clients that I lost that I, I wonder in retrospect, if I was doing a good, good enough job communicating what all was going into the work I was doing. Um, one of them happened to be e-commerce also, but, um, what I will, I've written a blog post about what I refer to as the dying middle class of e-commerce. Um, and I think that, um, there, there are certain types of businesses that have existed for the last 10 years that have really no place in the future, uh, of e-commerce and that they are just like glorified middlemen, you know? Um, for a long time, like people just go get some like dropship account and they would, you know, sign up. Uh, you know, create a website and they would sell, you know, um, uh, flatbuildhats.com and, and like, and they would just be the resident expert of all flat build hats, but they weren't manufacturing any of those, you know, and, and all they were doing is buying from one group, selling them to another. And that's, that's ultimately like at some point in time, the technology behind all of that was the hurdle that you were solving. But the whole point of online, has, has been from the very beginning cutting out the middleman, you know, so all they did was create a secondary middleman being themselves. And so as, um, as the technological hurdles have, have shrunk over, over the years, um, that's just that, that kind of business, um, the place for them has shrunk too, because, um, there's, you know, Amazon, which is built as a machine for commodities. You know, if there's a product I can buy a thousand places, no better place to buy it than Amazon. And so um, that's usually who they're losing market share to in those situations. So, um, and one of my one of the clients was one that for a long time was kind of, uh, they created um, customized products, you know, um, things that have been like monogrammed or engraved or whatever um, to meet their needs. And and for a long time they were um, largely unaffected by Amazon because Amazon doesn't do customization, you know, they do scale. Um, and then Amazon got into customization, you know, they, they just added the feature of like, Oh, cool. If you want to, like, you can just type in this box, what name goes on it. And we'll put the, you know, and whoever the seller is, we'll put the name on it. 
And that just kind of like blew up their business. And they've just been kind of dying the slow, steady decline since then, um, which I've seen with other industries that have been more directly impacted by Amazon, you know, for, for several years. So um, unsurprising there. But um, so, yeah, I think it's a mixture of those two things. And, and you know, part of that was like uh, I met with that one company, the the personalization company um, years ago. And I was like, this this company has not a lot of future for, for the reasons I just mentioned. Um, but they need, they really need someone with e-com experience. They were like on their third or fourth me. And, and I just happened to, to know enough about them that I could kind of help prop them up for as long as I could. Um, but you know, I don't think the, I, th- I think that issue is not going to resolve itself. You know, like a lot of things have to change for them to kind of figure stuff out. And I kind of knew that writing was on the wall. Um, the day I signed up with them, you know, it's just a matter of how long, uh, that wave could be surfed, if you will. Um, so yeah, you know, um, so that's one piece. And then the piece you mentioned is certainly the figuring out ways to better communicate, um, the value I bring. And one of the pitfalls that I run into is that I, I do use a lot of tools and a lot of automation. We've talked about that in the outsourcing automation show, um, to kind of streamline my world and, and sometimes I wonder if in a byproduct of doing that is that, um, it all seems too easy. You know, uh, a lot of things are happening, uh, below the surface of the water and no one's seeing them. And does that mean, you know, if, if a tree falls, you know, does anybody hear it? Um, I kind of created a situation like that just to mix all the terrible metaphors. Um, and so it's made me question a little bit too, of like introducing into my workflow kind of checkpoints where I'm making sure I'm reaching out and communicating uh, that stuff is going on, even though I'm not needing the client's input or, uh, you know, I'm not having to ask questions or involve them in any kind of meaningful way. Yeah. I, I was, um, talking about the same issue a couple of weeks ago with, um, an investment advisor who was, um, saying, you know, I've put a lot of time into this work product where I like put together the investments that I, su- I suggest people invest in. And I send them this PDF letter that takes me hours and hours to put together. And I was like, yeah, I for sure would not have thought that you <laughs> you wrote that, you know, like I would have just I, like odds are I never would have opened it. And had I, I would have been like, what random generated thing, you know? Um, so I think that's a huge hurdle for, uh, service providers to get over. It is. And in, and it's some, you know, it's so client specific too, because I have clients that are hiring me so that they don't have to be involved. You know, they're like wanting to, th- you know, get that monkey off their back, put it on me and they want to check in in our monthly meetings. And that's the extent of the involvement they want. And then I have other folks that want to be involved on a more, you know, weekly, if not every few days kind of basis. And if, if we go a week without communicating, they feel like I'm my attention is elsewhere and reality it's every bit as much as involved. It's just that, um, you know, I I would argue I I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like if I have a good understanding of the business and their goals, it's something that I don't have to uh, ask a lot of questions about unless things are, you know, changing dramatically. And so, um, yeah, that's, that can be a pitfall of, of getting in that comfort zone, I suppose. Yeah, I can see that. So what kind of industries do you want to touch? Yeah. So, um, I kind of in assessing the landscape there, there are, 
you know, uh, extremes, right? There are the, the, the companies that are way too big for me that have, you know, in-house staff for this, uh, like a huge in-house team or a big New York agency kind of world. They have legal departments where everything has to get approved by them. Yada, yada, yada. There's, there's a whole lot of overhead in that world. And, um, that doesn't appeal to me uh, on a personal level. And also I probably don't appeal to them. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not a name that they can sell internally. I'm, you know, not a huge team that has the support that they need, whatever. Uh, on the far other end of the spectrum, it's the folks, um, that are trying to do some sort of like quasi get rich quick scheme. You know, they've found something that, um, that someone's selling in Asia that isn't being sold in the United States and they can buy it in bulk and repackage it. And they feel like they've cracked some sort of code and they make $12 and reinvest the $12 into the next thing. And until, you know, they keep doubling down until they pick a bad product and they're starting over, you know, and there's a lot of, um, specifically, um, in, in the e-com space, there is a whole subculture of those folks. Um, for me, I've kind of identified, um, you know, e-com, but specifically like people that are doing their own private brand, you know, they're, they're the manufacturer. They're the only people that you can buy a particular product from, you know, it's just their brand. Um, and some component of that, uh, could include retail too. Uh, some of them have the, uh, you know, a ham, a small number of brick and mortar shops, but then also sell online, but you're, you're buying their brand. You know, they're not reselling, uh, brands that you could get on Amazon. You could get on, you know, Nordstrom or Macy's.com kind of stuff. Um, if you want their thing, you have to get it from them. So, uh, I've kind of labeled that, uh, boutique e-commerce brands, you know, um, to, I felt like that was a good way of describing like, you, you know, their size by nature and also like that they are their own brand and the brand is just as important as their, their reach, their online, you know, footprint. Um, cause in a lot of cases it is. Okay. All right. That's, so that's what you identify as something that's going to be successful on e-commerce without Amazon. Um, just stifling and suffocating it. Yeah, I think so. And specifically, um, there's a, a platform that websites are built on e-commerce websites called Shopify that is kind of leading the charge for this. Um, it's, it's think like WordPress or Squarespace, but for e-commerce, um, and they are doing a lot of stuff to empower these brands, these boutique brands and, um, everything from having like removing the technical barriers that we talked about before, it's really easy to get set up with a site with them and get your products loaded and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it also, they're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, like in the order fulfillment world where they're actually uh, building a network of warehouses, um, and using artificial intelligence to like move product around so that it's closer nearby to where they think someone might be about to purchase, um, so that they can offer like a two day shipping, Amazon prime ish kind of thing. Um, which, you know, an individual retailer can't even touch that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if I had a t-shirt company, like I would have no hopes of ever achieving that, but the collective scale of all of the Shopify retailers, um, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's a really interesting thing. So, so that's another, like, you know, uh, checkbox I look for someone that's on that platform is usually, you know, thinking the right way. Um, they've got a, a platform that I can work with on a technical level a lot better. Um, and, uh, and 
you know, usually kind of a brand that's in my space. Um, I, I think that that Shopify thing also kind of lends, uh, leans towards the like get rich quit scheme folks. Um, but it's usually pretty easy to, to kind of separate the two, um, you know, looking at a site, you can usually kind of identify pretty quickly, which camp they fall in. Okay. So how do you make the transition? How do you get different clients than what you organically have gotten in the past? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, it, that's the really interesting challenge in this, um, kind of pros and cons and thinking through of it, thinking through it is, um, you know, I have largely operated on referrals and people have sent stuff to me. I've done this long enough. I have enough experience that I can cover a lot of different spaces comfortably. Um, and so I can get a lot of local referrals or, you know, regional referrals and that's fine. Like I can take a, a broad swath of different kinds of clients. If I'm committed to this, it means that's less the case, right? And and in my sphere of influence, um, in my uh, local you know, economy doesn't have a ton of these businesses, right? Um, so it means I'm going to have to branch out and extend my footprint of people that know about me to a much broader area so that I can cover enough of these types of companies that I can find the amount I need to sustain my business. Um, and that's, that's super interesting because it's forcing me to essentially have a sales strategy and process that I have not had to have so far. I mean, I've done sales, but a lot of it's been referral driven and there's a huge difference as we've talked about between like, you know, me reaching out to someone that doesn't know who I am. Then this is our first contact and trying to make a meaningful connection to like having someone say, Hey, you need digital marketing. You need to talk to my, you know, my buddy, Rob, I've got just the guy for you, you know, talk to him. And, and those interactions look so vastly different. Um, and so, um, where I've leaned on one primarily so far, I'm now having to explore what it would look like to do the other. And if, if that's a good option for me or not. Yeah. And what we have learned, you and I, when we've talked about this is that neither of us know how to do that. <laughs> like, we're like hundred percent just going off of old school, like knowing people and have, you know, genuine, authentic connections with old friends paying out, <laughs> paying off. And, um, and that's a huge leap. It's a, it's an enormous leap to go from, uh, from that to like, I don't know, cold calls or something. I don't know. I get now like why people hire a particular like salesy salesperson to do their sales sales. <laughs> well, in like my world for a long time, we, uh, it's kind of died down a bit, but we had this term called growth hacker and it was <laughs> someone that like uh, I bums me out. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always likened them to locusts. You know, they're just like scouring the earth looking for whatever they can find and they leave this trail of destruction behind them. And, and it, that, uh, you know, it's not an uncommon practice for folks with, that uh, assign that label to themselves to, you know, send out thousands of cold emails, put you on some sort of script where it's following up like, Hey, did you see my last email? Did you see my last email? And like working the system on you that feels completely inauthentic and, and, um, not effective. You know, there's no, uh, real, uh, qualifying the lead. There's no real personal connection and human element to it. It's just a, it's a numbers game. Right. 
And, um, and so like, that's who I feel like I'm fighting. Like if I reach out to somebody on LinkedIn that I just know is the digital marketing director for an e-commerce brand that I would love to work with that, you know, checks all these boxes for me, like I'm automatically assumed to be, and probably rightfully so, because, you know, marketers have ruined this for the rest of us. Some like skeezy guy that's working some sort of system that has, you know, some, I'm just going to start abusing you online until you listen to me. And, and that's not my personality at all. And it's not what I intend to do in this situation. Um, but it's created this huge hurdle of like, how do I get new business and not be that? Um, cause there's a very clear that, that I'd like to avoid. Um, and unfortunately this whole world has existed long enough for people to have represented growth hacking in 1500 different ways. And then that means like I'm looking for the 1500th and one option where I can do something human and authentic that hasn't already been spoiled by, uh, by the growth hackers. So I think that transitioning to a different type of company, you know, and having a different focus, like you breeze past it, but you kind of did the first couple steps, which is like deciding on it and like creating you know, the basis. Like if you build it, they will come type of thing. But then the, the big question mark is like, Okay, so I'm ready. Line up. <laughs> like, then what? Because, you know, if you're going to do something where your organic network can't get you there. I mean, you're doing the right thing already, which was realizing you have to interact with people on a larger, more expansive geographic scale than um, just Chattanooga. Um, I think that will help. I got a client recently who um, actually just called me. Um, if you heard that in the background, that's what that was. Um, who found me because he he is in a different state and needed a Colorado attorney. And his brother-in-law was visiting Colorado for a ski trip. And he texted his brother-in-law and his brother-in-law asked a group of people on a ski lift and nobody knows who it was on the ski lift. It was like, you should reach out to Sarah. So, yeah. <laughs> and like, he's paid and everything. So it panned out, but, um, it was that obscure. So I guess, you know, you can't really predict it, but certainly getting your name out there never hurts. Yeah. Well, and I think some of this focus lends itself to that in a helpful way. Like some of the pros I identified and thinking through this is like, I can be much clearer on my focus for marketing myself and content marketing and that sort of thing, because like I, I can speak to this one group of people. I'm not constantly saying like keeping everything so generic and broad that it could, you know, it could mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Like I can write content or, or publish stuff that's very specific to, uh, the, the fears and desires of, you know, the boutique e-commerce brand. And so that part's really awesome and freeing because now I can sit down and think of like 20 different topics of, of things I need to be uh, discussing or addressing. And, and it, I don't have to keep it broad. I can kind of get in the niches with that too, which I, I think makes for better content. Um, it also probably dramatically is, will help my workflows and help me streamline. Like I'm, it's only one industry I have to focus on and learn about, understand the tools, the trends, all that kind of thing. I'm not trying to stay up on a whole bunch of different spaces. I can be an expert in one. Um, uh, I, I'd worry a bit about just kind of the lack of diversification. You know, if, if, for example, we've talked before, but if, if we had like a recession, an economic recession, you know, like, uh, high-end clothes, <laughs> like would probably be a great place for people to cut, cut their budget. Um, and there's not a, a really great, 
counterbalance that I've identified yet that is some other specialty. Yeah, Yeah. yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Recession bonds um, that I'd love to like incorporate in that. But, um, but, you know, I just got to ride that, uh, deal with that one when we get there. I mean, there's other things you can buy that aren't, you know, high and close that are more necessity kind of items. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, those things are, are super helpful. Uh, I am still trying to figure out the sales component of it. Um, the first few steps of that were just more marketing, which is like my branding and my, uh, copy and all that kind of stuff. And now it's to the point of like, how does the rubber hit the road and how do I reach out to people in some way that's scalable? Um, I've done for a long time, a, a weekly newsletter where I kind of recap the last week in marketing, um, just kind of summarizing all of the news and curating what I think is important so that people can keep up with that. And, and so like I've transitioned that to be more specifically e-com focused and I've done some other things where I'm kind of transitioning a bit of what I've already been doing, uh, to be a bit more focused and, and hopefully, I mean, something like that is way more my, my jam, like my, uh, something I would feel comfortable doing, but it's a much softer sell than like, you know, hitting people up on LinkedIn, <laughs> annoying folks. Um, but it helps position me as an industry expert and that sort of thing. Um, so I think in the long run, it could be really beneficial, but, um, but that's that long slog of all the time you put into it until someone's like, Hey, yeah, I know a guy, (laughs) Uh, not on a ski lift. Yeah. (laughs) Um, super random would love to know who was skiing that day. And so yeah, hit us up. Maybe that's our call out. Hit us up with your uh, your sales advice. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think specifically what we're thinking and what you and I have been talking about is like, what would it look like to be thoughtful, intelligent, respectful in the process of saying, here are 10 companies I can vet and identify that like I'd love to have as clients. You know, and this could be for me, this could be for you, whatever. Like, how, what is a good way to go from that step to like be sitting in a meeting with them and, and having a chance to like uh, meaningfully connect, even if it doesn't mean business, just like, you know, because um, I don't want to burn bridges all over town trying to get my name out there in a way that's that uh, degrades my brand. You know, like I don't want to be associated with the growth hackers, for example. So um, there's such a fine line between, you know, in your world, like being an ambulance chaser is kind of like the most generic example of, of, uh, of that, um, or me being the growth hacker, um, or versus being someone who's respectable and, and has a plan and really believes in the service they're offering and feels like they can make a difference in someone else's business. Uh, Yeah. I think that's probably the natural transition of, of a business as you go out and at first you're shy and the only clients you get are the ones that people like, you know, they, they're like, well, let me see if my friend will take you on as a client. And like you come from a position of like feeling very comfortable in selling your services because you're like, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. Yeah. Whatever. Like you came to me and we'll, we'll talk it through. I'll tell you how I normally do it and you decide. But, um, it's just so radically different if you target somebody you'd like to provide services for, because then you're the one trying to approach them and it just, the power dynamic is so radically different. Um, I don't, I don't know how to navigate that and I need to as well. So, yeah. Cause you and I have both been in meetings where we've come and sat down and someone's like, Hey, I need what you offer. Like, tell me how you can help me. And, 
we've also been in meetings where you come and sit down and say, Hey, uh, you know, sell me on yourself. <laughs> and those are, so, I mean, they seem vaguely different, but they're hugely different in, in the way that you, uh, talk and present yourself and, uh, and how you prioritize your time, you know, like, um, I don't necessarily, you know, want to go door to door knocking on people trying to convince them they have a need they don't recognize they already have. I just want to be a resource to people that, uh, when they have the need, you know, and, and that just seems like a, a very different approach. It does. We got to figure it out. So that's our homework. Figure that out. Yep. And if you don't know, but you know someone who would be great at that, send us uh, our way because we could have them on the show and um, we'd love to talk uh, this detail out and more, um, more granularly. It's true. Do it. Mm-hmm. Where can people find that, Rob? They can find information about our show at unfederated.studio. Uh, we've got show notes, prior episodes, and a contact form if you want to get in touch. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, Tara, good chatting. Good talking to you. You can find show notes from this episode at unfederated.studio. And if this podcast has helped you in your journey, say thanks by rating and reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts.